Hello everyone and welcome to the final 2021 installment of the Quillette podcast. If you're a regular listener, this is where you're probably expecting to hear my boss, Clara Lehman's introductory voice. But she gets the week off this time because I'm doing something a little special. You see, my plan for this week was to have a long and very serious discussion with a famous writer who just published an acclaimed book about disease and pain. But as I did the editing for broadcast, I thought to myself about how much crap we've all had to put up with in 2021, and I thought, is pain and disease really the way I want to send my listeners into Christmas? So I put that episode on the shelf till early January, when our batteries are recharged a little, and this week, instead, the guest is going to be more of a lightweight. Specifically, it's me. You see, as well as hosting the Quillette podcast, I often appear as a guest on other shows. And recently, that included the podcast called Bob Got a Microphone, which is hosted right here in Toronto by my friend Bob Tarantino. Earlier this month, Bob interviewed me about watches, cars, board games, and vaccines for Bob Got a Microphone. Those sound like random subjects, I know, but we had fun with it, and I promise it all comes together in the end. And with his permission, I've done an edit for Quillette listeners. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe to Bob Got a Microphone, hosted by Bob Tarantino, which you can download wherever you find your podcasts. Hope you enjoy it, and that you all have a safe and happy Christmas. Looking forward to talking to you all in 2022. Welcome to Bob Got a Microphone the podcast that exists because I, Bob Tarantino, bought a microphone. So a few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast hosted by my friend Jonathan Kay. He's a writer and journalist who has authored such insightful books as Your Move, What Board Games Can Teach Us About Life, which was co-written with Joan Moriarty. And he offhandedly mentioned that he likes watches. Hey, I thought, I like watches too. Maybe me and John could talk about the psychology of why middle-aged guys often suddenly find themselves deeply invested in new hobbies like watch collecting. Well, this episode is the record of that conversation. As you'll hear, we cover a lot of topics that, at best, only obliquely shed light on why we like watches, until suddenly everything becomes perfectly clear. All right, Jonathan Kay, welcome. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So you're a watch nerd? Uh, among other kinds of nerds. I'm actually curious how you knew I was a watch nerd. So on one of your Colette podcast episodes. Oh yeah. 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 Um, oh, so I was talking about the New York times watch ads. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, this time of year, the New York times watch ads kind of go into this <laughs> price zone that unless you have your own hedge fund, probably not going to be able to get those watches. Right. Uh, you know, it's like unpronounceable Swiss names with three hyphens and eight umlauts. You and I aren't even supposed to read those ads. No, exactly. So, I mean, what I, one of the things I find interesting about watches, so I'm, I'm a watch nerd too. I only got into watches a few years ago and it was because of my wife. And my wife had mentioned it to one of her colleagues who's older uh, that I was suddenly getting into watches. And the older friend of hers was like, oh yeah, of course. Like he's a guy in his mid forties. Naturally, he's into watches. So I find that kind of a fascinating phenomenon. Like, when did you get into watches? So my dad was always really into watches. So his oh. his deal was that he bought the first Omega Moonwatch, which is oh. a famous famous model. I think like around the time it first came out, fifty years ago or something. And and that that's that's a wind up. It's actually unfortunately a very delicate watch, as as I've learned. Did wow. you drop it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I dropped it. Was it insured? I mean, I'm very clumsy with watches. 
can I tell you a story about Please. what happened with that watch? Yeah. So, so that's the original Omega Moon watch, which even people who aren't watch nerds, if they saw it, they might recognize it because it's iconic. A couple of years ago, I was working on a book project in New York and I would go there every month, which, which is, is good because that's about how often I would break it. Someone said to go to this place on Madison Avenue to, to get it fixed. And so I went and I was in the elevator going, <laughs> going up. And this just random guy in the elevator said to me, he looked at my, my Speedmaster and he saw that it was cracked. And he said, oh, I bet you're going to the fourth floor to get your watch fixed. I said, yeah, how do you know? He says, well, you know, I see people in this building. They come all the time to get their watch fixed. And he said, it's a complete ripoff. Like, it's for suckers. He says, are you a sucker? And I said, no, no, it's very much the opposite. Definitely not a sucker. So he says, come to my office and I'll give you the phone number of somebody who will fix your watch. I said, okay. And then... Uh, you're a very and, trusting guy, John. Like a random New Yorker in the in the elevator. Well, so if you're a sucker just, and invites you into his office, so it, was really, like, yeah. it was really strange because I followed him to his office and he was the president of some kind of upscale condo renovation company. Sure. And I went past one secretary who herself had another secretary. Like, I mean, he was. <laughs> <laughs> the strangest part of the story is this guy who like wipes his shoe with people like me actually was taking the time. So I go into his office and he scribbles the name of this guy. And, and I said, well, where's the address? He said, oh, so, so what, you do, what you do is you go to the Diamond District. You know, there's yeah. this street within the street. There are these places and you go in and there's 50 jewelers who have these little stalls. So he, he said, well, you know, you go in and then you turn left. And then there's a place that looks like it's sort of closed down, but ask for Moishi. And if he's not there, ask other people where Moishi is and just like wait and Moishi will show up. You're sure this guy is going to fix my watch? It's, oh yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So, so I did it and then I show up and, and I actually, like the guy was there by this time I wasted like <laughs> three hours anyway. So Moishi starts telling me his life story he's originally actually from canada but he was an orthodox jew and he was the black sheep of the family and i showed him my speedmaster and i said well can you fix it he says oh yeah i can totally fix it it just needs this and this and this he says but i'm gonna need you to order the parts for me because they don't take my credit cards anymore <laughs> he's blacklisted <laughs> and i said oh okay well this this sounds like a great idea so well i'm going back to toronto tonight but here's what i'll do i'll i'll order the parts and they'll come to toronto and on my next trip to New York, I'll bring you the parts and you'll fix the watch. And he said, yeah, so the problem is I'm not going to be here in a month. I'm going to be at my place in Brooklyn. Let me give you the address. And at this point, I was like, you know what? This is way too complicated. And I went across the street and I sold it, broken and all. Because <laughs> it was like the fourth time I'd, I'd broken that watch. I, right. I think I had invested 7500 bucks just in fixing it. So when I was in Toronto, when I'd get it fixed, I'd bring it to, um, there's a place on Richmond West. It's the, I think that's the address. It's the Swatch place. And Swatch is the local maintenance agent, I think, for Omega. But what happens is you, you bring it in and there's all these guys running around in, in white coats, but they always tell you the same thing. They say, oh, sorry, we got to send this to Switzerland. It's the same thing every time. It's, it takes six months and it's 1200 bucks, whatever it is. It's six months and 1200 bucks. And so I'd gone through this rigmarole all the time. I'm a klutz. I'm, I was always dropping the thing. And so I just sold it. And so now my policy is I don't get expensive watches. I don't get any watch that's in four figures. So the watch I have now, actually, is this video? 
can people are people gonna be able people to people won't this? be able to no i don't use the video i just use the audio like okay, i'll be so, able to so see it i but... can see you video so i was gonna yeah. hold the watch up well you know i'm gonna hold it for yeah you let me see it yeah for sure so i mean this is it's a citizen and yeah. just for people listening at home it's round and it has a minute <laughs> hand and an hour hand and a bunch um, of sub dials it's a good looking watch yeah and then around the periphery it has just these random numbers that look like they mean something if you were a professional scuba diver or maybe a race car driver it's a beautiful watch what i like about the citizen watches they have this radio control technology where every day at two in the morning there is a radio signal that is emitted from a mountaintop in colorado and and i think like maybe a half dozen other places around the world this is true it's it's a broadband technology, and your watch will actually sync to it. Okay. Uh, so our part of North America uh, is in that zone. In the Colorado zone. Radio. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why more watches don't have this. It's uh, Sometimes it's called, I think, atomic or radio-controlled. Right. There's actually uh, millions of radio-controlled timepieces, analog. They look like analog, and I guess they are analog timepieces all around North America that, that set themselves according to this technology. It's basically huh. AM radio technology. And that Citizen has it. So I think Citizen... It's, I think it's the best value. Right. So I'm a pretty big watcher. I've got to say, I've never heard of that technology or that model. That's amazing. It's kind of like the same technology or it's analogous. to. it's why the clock on your phone is always accurate because it's always right. checking in with the network. Right. And this is basically the analog AM radio equivalent of that. Oh, I love these watches. So this is a Citizen. I have a Seiko. I have, a, I have an old Tudor. I have an old Tag. Nice. Um, but but they tend to be the very low end of the high end or the high end of the low end, depending right. on how you define it. It's sort of like the way they say being in your 40s is, is the old age of youth or the youth of old age. Right. So that's the analogous <laughs> thing to what, yeah, to watches. To what your watches I like. Right, your commitments and watches. That's yeah. nice. I, so, I, I would never buy a watch that costs more than a decent set of snow tires. <laughs> I think, I think, that's a good heuristic i, I like think that. rabbi akiva said that in the talmud i like that there's, so there's a for watch nerds like there's a lot of blasphemous statements which have happened in this conversation already like there's there's the hard cap on how much you should spend on a watch there's yes. you selling an original omega speedmaster moon watch the one thing that i like is like you sort of hit that goal that a lot of watch nerds have which is somebody noticed your watch Right. It's that you're sort of the dream of like, I'm walking down the street and some random person's going to be like, hey, yeah. so cool watch. <laughs> when I when I wore the original Moonwatch, that was, yeah, that was the one that that the most people recognized. Although, interestingly, it's it's the people who recognized it were often people who themselves had the same watch. Right. It's like these studies that show that people linger the longest on car ads, advertising cars that they own. But what's interesting is I didn't get a good price for it because it was it broken. technically original. <laughs> So it didn't have, the guy said it didn't have the original hands because uh -huh. every time it got repaired, maybe the crown would be slightly different or the hands would be different. And you could tell, like an expert can tell. And so the people who are true collectors, who, you know, an original mint condition Speedmaster is probably, probably about 10,000 now. Um, that's, I oh, remember at least. it was 5,000. Yeah, yeah. But this, but what happens is if, if even one component is an original, like the hands, because if you get water in it, I think one of the first things that degrades is, is mm -hmm. the hands. That's, I think, you know, you could knock 50% off that. Right, for sure. Or so the guy told me. I mean, like, you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm certainly no sucker, but they do take advantage of me. That's fair. Now, so it's interesting. I, like, I kind of find watches interesting 
from an aesthetic perspective. Like one of yeah. the things that I find fascinating about the hobby is the skill is really in the way that somebody's able to take a very compact space and a very finite set of elements and arrange them in a way that can produce something which sometimes is, is quite beautiful. I suspect that your background as an engineer actually has something to do with why you like watches. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I remember my dad, one of the reasons he liked, he had a Rolex that he liked a lot. And it wasn't one of the really expensive Rolexes, but one of the things that fascinated me about it was the self-winding technology. Mm -hmm. So, you know, inside there's, there's an asymmetric mechanism that, that winds itself. <laughs> the thing is, it was always wildly inaccurate. Um, <laughs> Rolexes, at least at, at the time, and I think still, they often, I remember that watch would, would, would gain or lose a minute or two every week. And what's, what's so interesting, these watches are such a ripoff. If you go to the Rolex dealer, or this happened at Omega, you'll say, so like, does it keep good time now? Because I mean, I, my Speedmaster at one point was losing like 90 seconds a day. It was crazy. And he said, oh, it absolutely it keeps perfect time within the designated parameters. Right. And I was like, sorry, um, what? what? Like, what are the designated parameters? And some of these high-end luxury brands, the designated parameters are <laughs> like 30 seconds a day or something. So they have these code phrases that they say is just like, yes, it, it meets spec according to our official tolerances. And the official tolerances are ludicrously loose in the case of some brands. I mean, I remember 20 years ago, I was on Canal Street and my, my wife, my Jennifer, who you know, in fact, I think I know you through her, yeah. she bought a $7 knockoff it was rolex but r-o-l-e-k-s-z <laughs> or something and it kept perfect time the, the battery died after 10 years and it kept absolutely perfect time uh and replacing the battery would have cost twice as much as the watch so she threw it out and she hasn't worn a watch since i think it's the only product in the world i can think of where the quality of the product as measured by its nominally stated function is inversely proportional to the price you pay for it have you ever seen these machines people get to keep their Rolexes wound? Oh, yeah. You stick Dude, it I have one behind thing. me. It's not, I don't have a Rolex, but I have a machine. Right. This is, this is a winding machine right here. Yeah. It's, it's because the idea is, well, if your wrist isn't moving, you need a way to put kinetic energy into the mechanism. Don't you feel ridiculous putting your watch into that thing? I like, feel like I an idiot buy... every time I, wa I wind my watches. Winding a watch is a, is a strangely therapeutic activity. A hundred percent feels like you're transported into a sort of like hipster steampunk world of gears and springs. I kind of yeah. like it, but that winding mechanism doesn't have that quality. It's, it, it, it feels lazy and artificial. Right. And um, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you have any self-respect. I, I, frankly, I don't. Um, okay. That's why I'm a podcaster. Um, the, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's crazy though, because you know, up and so look up until like three years ago, I paid zero attention to watches like the like the most I would have I would have looked at somebody who told me they spent more than $60 on a watch as if they were a crazy person. Right. And uh, what was your first good watch? It and was by good, a, I mean bad. Yeah, it was a, a Victorinox, like a an automatic mechanical. The, the Swiss Army brand. Swiss Army brand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. And I love it. I'm actually I have it on. It's uh, I love this watch. But I, I was always curious as to sort of what flipped in me. And here I am three years later, you know, talking to you about which watches I'm interested in. So I was like that with cars. So I don't know. So you, you can see my video. Can you see the back? Do you see a Lego Porsche that's behind me? Yeah. I can't, oh. I can't even believe that that's Lego. Yeah. 
what's the technique sub-brand, you can see it has this, this real Lego engine. When I rotate the tires, can you see the, the pistons move? Yeah. I've never been a car person. And building this Lego model with my kid, I was like, I need the real version of this car. It's so right. nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dangerous and, game you're playing, John. Well, yeah. Now, I got a 15-year-old used version of it. But it, it, it was building this Lego that made me do it. And, and it was weird. It was just totally random. And then as soon as I did it, it was the only thing I could think of. I just started noticing other cars. And now I subscribe to three different car magazines. And, and all this happened during COVID. I think COVID had some weird effect. Your watch thing, it sounds like it was pre-COVID. Pre, just pre-COVID. Yeah, in, in uh, twenty. But you anticipate. It's like something in you knew right. COVID was coming <laughs> and you needed like to become weird. Absolutely. This car thing, I hadn't seen anybody except my family in like a month. And the dealership wouldn't even let me test drive it because it was COVID. Do you remember those early days when we were treating each other like lepers? Like yeah, everybody was a was... disease vector. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, the, the test drive, the guy left the keys on the counter and then he probably <laughs> boiled, boiled them after. Anyway, so yeah, I, I, and I just got in was my first experience with a Porsche that was not Lego. You fall hard. Like when somebody presents I totally, something to you. I like totally, yeah. I don't, nice. I don't do halfway stuff. No, which I can tell by the, like all the Frisbee discs behind you. And yeah, we don't call games. them Frisbees in disc oh, golf. What do you call them? Uh, no, what do you call Frisbee is a child's toy. Sure. Uh, they're, they're discs, which is. Just discs. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, discs is, it's something you use for an athletic endeavor, mm. which disc golf is. It and is. Uh, yeah, Frisbee is a, a child's toy produced by the Whammo Corporation. <laughs> with a little R in a circle. I it has it. nothing to do with disc golf. Yeah. Nothing. That's fair. And now a commercial message from Skillshare, one of our sponsors for this episode of the Quillette podcast. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. If you're looking to develop your professional skill set, there's plenty of courses to choose from, including logos and branding, web development, film, and video. In my case, I've taken courses on Adobe Photoshop and used that knowledge to design some of the graphics you see on the Quillette website. Skillshare classes include a combination of video lessons and a class project, so you can apply what you've learned. Members get unlimited access to thousands of inspiring classes, most of which are under 60 minutes with short lessons to fit any schedule. Whether you're a dabbler or a pro, Skillshare will help you experience real improvement with classes designed for real life in a supportive environment. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash Quillette and get a one-month free trial premium membership. That's S-K-I-L-L-S-H-A-R-E dot com slash Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. Skillshare.com slash Quillette. And now back to our Quillette podcast. So I was reading your book not too long ago. I don't know if it was your most recent book. Your your book with Joan Moriarty. Your movie. Oh, the the board games one. It's which is a, it's a great book. And I, I one of the things I found interesting about it is the I don't know if it's an admission, like the statement that you say in the book where you describe board games as like one of the top three kind of commitments in your life, like next to like family and work. So is that? Is that has that held steady? Are you still? Well, just like, I mean, or, or for have the record, been displaced by Porsches and, and for the record, golf? family and work. I mean, obviously, one of those two things I had to put in for form's sake, right? I get it. Yeah, I mean, board games. I would say it's competing with disc golf now. Mm. The disc golf thing is weird. So two years ago, I had barely heard of disc golf, and right. to the extent I had heard of it, I had complete 
contempt for anybody who played it. Golf is already a terrible sport. And then disc golf is, let's take everything that's bad about golf and now we'll make it for nerds. But then COVID hit and I couldn't play tennis and I couldn't play squash and I couldn't work out. My daughter wasn't playing hockey. The only sports that were available were loser sports, right? <laughs> you know, lawn bowling, tetherball. Uh, Dude, tetherball is a good sport. My friend of mine said, hey, let's try this disc golf thing. I said, oh, are we that desperate? And he said, yes, we are. <laughs> and so I went to play disc golf and I was hooked immediately. Right. And I'd say in the last year and a half, I've probably played disc golf maybe 300 times. I've just become totally obsessed with it. Is, is disc golf an athletic endeavor in the same way that like darts is an athletic endeavor? Like, I mean, it, it just seems to me that like you're not, I mean, so the only disc golf course I'm familiar with is the one that is, or at least used to be at Centennial Park. At, yeah, I, that's a big course. I go there all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not, like you're just walking and then throwing the, the disc. I was going to say Frisbee, yeah, but I know not to do that <laughs> there's, now. There's, there's no uh, ability test or velvet rope. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's not like getting into a fancy country club or anything. Right. Don't need references. Uh, they live in Jews. It's, um, so that's actually one of the best disc golf courses in Toronto. The only problem, hole one, you're throwing over water. It discourages a lot of people because the first hole you throw over a lake, so often people will come, their first disc goes into the lake, they spend 20 minutes trying to fish it out, and they just get pissed off and they leave. I don't know why they decided to make the first hole the lake hole, but they did. To weed out the people who aren't, you know, committed yes. to it. It's not exactly like darts. I mean, because you do get exercise, because by the time <laughs> you're done playing a round of disc golf, you probably walked a couple miles. Right? Okay, that's fair. Um, and the motion of disc golf is, it's like regular golf. It is an athletic motion. And if you're athletic, you'll be good at it. And if you're not athletic, you'll be bad at it. But so it is not, kind of exclusionary. Like you have to have some athletic ability. It sounds like to actually participate. What happens? It's not like croquet, in other words. I think isn't croquet hard? Like, if, isn't real croquet difficult? I don't know. Is there is there a real version of it? Like, I feel well. So I think the version of croquet we played when we were seven mm. was like you're just trying to get the ball through those hoops. Yeah. But then I think the real version is it's actually the super competitive thing where you put your ball right in contact with the other guy's ball and then you like whack one of the balls and his ball goes a hundred yards have you <laughs> have you seen croquet on like espn 17 no i'm gonna have to look this up <laughs> i actually don't this might don't be a missed that, opportunity i don't know that it's on tv but i right. something I'm sure it's on youtube that's the, the croquet we played when we were kids right let asthma camp was not real croquet i, I think <laughs> there's like a real hardcore croquet scene that you and i don't even know about right we don't have access to that nope. is there is there a seasonality to uh to disc golf like can you play no, in the winter so or? i played today it's, and you know it's December. that's why you have the shorts on you don't have to tell people that i'm wearing shorts <laughs> right uh i mean you look good like it's not it's not a criticism you can play 12 months, and I do play 12 months a year. The, the snow is primarily an issue because it's really easy to lose your disc in the snow. And mm. so what some Canadian players do is they tape a very thin ribbon to the underside, the center of the underside of the disc. And so mm. the ribbon peeks out. And then the other trick is you chalk your disc so that when you're looking through it, you'll see like a trail of colored chalk in the snow. But the, the biggest problem is some of these discs cost 20 bucks. They're expensive. And so if, you know, if you're playing every day and you're losing discs, it can get pricey. In fact, the first, if anyone's listening to this, the very first thing you do. You <laughs> Thank do, you, John. If anyone's listening, there's going to be listeners. Sorry, what I meant is to, com <laughs> to complete the thought, if anyone aside from your, your relatives are listening, 
if anyone who is interested in taking up disc golf is listening to this, is that's what I meant to say. The very first thing you should do is put your phone number on the underside of your disc because it's a very friendly sport. So when you lose a disc, chances are in a few days, you'll get a text message that says, oh, I'm, I'm at hole seven at Centennial and I, right. I just fished your disc out of the water or something like that. that sounds so like a nice community to be a part of. It is, yeah. In fact, it's the opposite of regular golf in that there's no attitude. Uh, everyone's nice. It's the only sport where you can just randomly go up to people and say, hey, you're really good. Can you show me how you did that stroke? And they'll, they'll say yes. Like you wouldn't do that on a regular golf course. Right. That'd be a little. You weird. wouldn't, you know, do that in, in most sports. But I it's one of the things I really like about this sport. It's just it's it's got a good vibe to it. Nice. All right. So to loop back to our earlier conversation about the citizen and just to wrap this up, because I know you have to go. Here's my suggestion for okay. for a device to avoid losing those discs. Yeah. Put an RFID chip on the disc and then rig up some kind of system where like your phone can detect where the, the little RFID chip is within yeah. like a couple hundred meters of you boom that's exactly what george soros wants us to do you know i might be chipped i think I, i've gotten two two vaccine shots i think i'm chipped i'm three so i got boosted this week my first was az astrazeneca my second was moderna and my third this week because i have a doctor friend is uh is pfizer so i'm hitting for the cycle wow yeah, yeah. that's the trifecta good for yeah. you and we don't have johnson and johnson here but right. I want to be the guy who gets even the weird ones they make, you know, <laughs> even the, the dangerous and ineffective ones <laughs> that they make in a barrel. I, I just, I feel like that can be my, my new, cause I go in hard. So <laughs> my new thing is getting vaccinated. I love um, it. So the craziest, so, you know, I wrote, uh, maybe you don't, I wrote a book about conspiracy theories. I do know that. Uh, I've read the book. And, and so I kind of, I thought I'd heard everything. But I was at a board game tournament a couple of weeks ago, and I heard a new one. This guy told me that he's not getting vaccinated because the vaccines contain this, this kind of electronic thing that gets activated by the Chinese through the 5G network. Yeah. So the vaccine itself may not hurt you, but then you expose yourself to 5G, and it's kind of like you're activated. Um, well, you're triple activated. Well, I think I feel like if the different vaccine makers have different agendas, yeah, and maybe all the sort of little mini robots in my bloodstream, they may go to war against each other. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I was going like to say, like, you're on of... all three networks. Like, so yeah. uh, any one of the three networks, as soon as it gets activated, like you're going to be activated. But maybe you're right. Like, maybe getting the three different vaccines is actually sort of the solution because maybe the networks fight each other. Yeah, yeah. It's called checks and balances. All the best constitutions are set up that way, including <laughs> yours now. If anybody's listening to this, very serious thing, you should get vaccinated. I've suffered no mind control episodes at all. Um, but you know, we should check just, that with Jen. It would feel like my own volition. Wow. Okay, now I'm freaked out. Porsche thing, that must have been before. It's pre-vaccine. Yeah, yeah right. so I'm safe okay. on that. Right. I'm so the like Porsche, Porsche AG or whatever the company is like, they're not sort of invested in the vaccine and they're no well they're owned by Volkswagen mm -hmm. and Porsche is going all electric by the way well not all electric. Mm -hmm. 911 is going to stay gas but my car I have a Cayman so I mean this is another this is why we're going to go full circle because we're ending but I feel the reason we're into these watches and the reason I'm into this you know I have a, a Cayman S which has this beautiful six-cylinder flat six engine which makes this beautiful rumbling sound is we know these are dead technologies. Mm -hmm. We know analog watch technology was superseded 
you know, when we were in grade five and the first guy showed up with the first LED Star Wars watch, like right. that was it. And and the same electric cars are killing it. I mean, the the Taycan, the Porsche Taycan, and and the hundred other models that are cheaper than the Taycan are just much better. They're right. faster too. My wife's electric Volkswagen is faster than my my Porsche. Hmm. Um, and so I think it's the fact that we know that these are dead technologies that give them the air of romance, sort of like fixed gear bicycles and, and stuff like that. So here's my hypothesis, just to complete the circle here. Yeah. Once we get into our 40s, we realize we are the soon to be dead technology and we start embracing other dead technologies. Whoa, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Boom. On that Man. note. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the flesh. Likewise, I look forward to getting an update on how many vaccines you've, you've managed to secure. I hope you're keeping like a little log. I don't know, maybe you want to tattoo it on yourself, like, like the date and the vaccine, like the brand and you know, uh, like a check that's mark. That's a good idea, right? but the Ontario government already does. I mean, so you're <laughs> describing my Ontario vaccine passport. That's fair. So what you're saying is I should get my Ontario vaccine passport tattooed on my ass. I, I mean, whichever part of your body works for you, but that's not a bad idea. I think uh, I just assumed it'd be my ass. You didn't say ass. I think I just... <laughs> you just went there. It's it. like when you it's read fine. stuff into the Constitution. I think I just read that in. <laughs> All right, I'll see you later. Nice. All right, take it easy. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.